Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the Word. Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, if you are joining us online, I just want to say thank you for doing that. Thank you, all of you that are here today. We are in the midst of a sermon series called The Church in Motion. And really what we're trying to do uh, throughout the summer is we are asking uh, God to reveal to us um, what it would look like for us as a church to be um, on Jesus' mission with him. And not just on Jesus' mission with him, but gaining momentum as a community and as individuals. So we've been asking God that question. We've been looking through the book of Acts um, to see what the uh, movement started like, what it looked like when it started, and to see how the early Christian movement began and gained momentum to get us all the way to where we are 2,000 plus years later. And so we've learned lots of different things. One of the things we learned uh, last week was from the life of Peter, um, as he shared the gospel with a Gentile by the name of Cornelius and all of his friends that were in that house. The, f- the first major moment where a, a whole group of Gentile believers came to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit came upon them in a real way and it became very clear, and this was such a pivotal moment at that time, it became very clear that, you, that God was preparing people who weren't what we would have expected, or what Peter, the people at that time, the Christians at that time would have expected, people would have been ready for to hear the gospel. He was preparing people, and so we learned that God, like he was preparing Cornelius, is preparing people today to hear the gospel, to turn to Christ, to believe, and to become Christians. And not only is he preparing people, but he's preparing people for us to go and share with them but we must go and tell them. And we learned that our relationships, every one of our relationships, if we're Christians, we have relationships with people, non-Christians and Christians, so that everybody has the opportunity to believe and become disciples. And if that's true, you might have gone to this next question, which we didn't address at all from that text last week, which is this, that, wait a minute, so my relationships, every single one of them, is because God is ordained, God is involved in um, giving every person a legitimate opportunity to know Christ and to become a disciple. Giving every person. But wait a minute, what about the people that I'm not in a relationship with? What about the people who aren't my friends, who aren't in circles, who I might never meet? What what about those people? What about people who are in subcultures, even in this country, who don't speak English or who live within a small group um, within a city and don't interact with anybody besides um, just their people from maybe the country that they have... Uh, emigrated to? What about them? What if there's no Christians in that group? What about people in other countries who have no Christians living in that region? What about them? Do they legitimately have an opportunity to turn to God and to hear the gospel and to become disciples? Well, that is a huge, huge question. And we're going to scratch the surface a little bit on that question today um, from the book of Acts. We're going to go to Acts chapter 13. So why don't you go ahead and turn there now. In the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1269. Acts chapter 13, on the Pew Bibles, it's page 1269. Acts 13, page 1269. And while you're turning there, I'll catch you up from where we were last week. Last week, we were in uh, Acts chapter 10. That was with the life of Peter. What ends up happening after uh, the Cornelius and his friends become Christians, uh, Peter goes back to Jerusalem. He was in Caesarea. That, remember, that was up near the, the uh, coastline 
um, of Palestine at the time. He ends up going back to Jerusalem, and there in Jerusalem, he tells the church, he tells the Christian, the leaders in the whole church in Jerusalem, listen, the gospel has been received by the Gentiles. God has received the Gentiles totally. They, when they believe Christ, they get remissions of sins just like we do as Jews. They don't have to become Jews to become Christians. It was amazing, and at church, at first the church was a little bit hesitant. They were kind of like, okay, really? And then Peter shared the story, and he shared how the Holy Spirit fell on them. And so the church believes that this is clearly the work of God because it's so obvious that this was God that had done this. And so they praise God and the news spreads from Jerusalem and goes out from there to the churches that had been established in Judea and Samaria. And then it goes up to uh, this place uh, north of Palestine in another province called Syria to a church called Antioch. And that's where uh, we transition in the book of Acts. We transition from Peter to a church. In Acts chapter 11, here's a new church that's very detailed what's going on at that church. It's the church in the city called Antioch. Now, Antioch is an interesting city. Antioch, some would say at that time, was kind of like the second Rome. It was the largest city on the eastern side of the Roman Empire at that time. It was the largest city only rivaled potentially by Alexandria, which was in Africa at that time. It was organized just like Rome. It was set up just like Rome. It even had a temple to worship the Roman emperor in its city. It also had a huge Jewish population in that city. And so what we read in Acts chapter 11 is that during the persecution, remember that Saul had started back in Acts 7 and Acts 8, when Saul was persecuting the church in Jerusalem, there was a... a um, People were fleeing uh, from their lives. The Jewish believers were fleeing for their lives at the time, and they spread out to Judea and Samaria. Apparently, some of them fled all the way to Antioch. And when they went to Antioch, they started sharing the gospel with Hellenistic Jews in that city. Remember, Hellenistic Jews are Jews who are born outside of Palestine. They were, they were Jews by heritage. They were Jews by religion. So they worshiped the God of the Bible, but they didn't speak Hebrew. They spoke Greek, hence the name Hellenistic. Helen is equivalent for Greek at that time. So if you're Hellenistic, it meant you were Greek in culture. And so these were Greek Jewish believers. And they would have read the, a, a Greek translation of the Bible at that time. They wouldn't even have read the Hebrew Bible. They would have read what was called the Septuagint. And so there was Greek-speaking Jewish people in Antioch, and so these believers that were persecuted in Jerusalem fled all the way to Antioch, apparently started to live in that region, and started sharing the gospel with those uh, Greek-speaking Jews, and they came to faith, and a church was planted. And it gets even more interesting. What we actually see is, remember I was telling you that the news went to Jerusalem and then it spread to Judea and Samaria that the Gentiles had come to faith in Christ. Well, it went all the way up to Antioch and apparently Antioch got it. And so that church started sharing the gospel with the Gentiles in that, in that region. They started going not just to the Hellenistic believers, but they started sharing the gospel with the Gentiles. And guess what happened? A ton of them believed. A ton of them came to faith and the church blew up in the Antioch region. And so the news gets back to Jerusalem, and they send a man by the name of Barnabas up there as a representative. Now, Barnabas was a Hellenistic Jew himself. He was born in Cyprus, but apparently had lived a long time in Jerusalem. And so he really was like a Jewish, if you will, a, a Hebrew Jewish 
person, if you will, but he also had an affinity for the, for the Hellenistic Jews of his people. And so because of that, he was sent up as a representative of the apostles, a representative of the Jewish church, sent up to check in on what's really happening and if these, Jew, these Gentile believers are legitimate. And he gets up there, and sure enough, it's legit, and it's amazing. And he is so encouraged, goes back to Jerusalem, shares the news, then feels called by God to go back up there and to teach these people who have no background in the Old Testament, who have no background in what it means to follow the one true God of the Bible. And he grabs his friend Saul, and they go together, and they start discipling this church. And they start teaching this church, and they start teaching the people Gentiles who have no background whatsoever what it means to follow the teachings of Jesus and to worship the one true God of the Bible, the one true God of the universe. And so we get this amazing picture. Clearly what we see is that Antioch is a special city at this time, but the church in Antioch is a special church. And what's crazy about Antioch is you start seeing that they start spreading out and going crazy sharing the gospel there, and revival is happening in that region. And they are a really special church. They even go so far as to provide aid for Jerusalem, the church there, because there was a famine that ends up coming. We see this all in Romans or Acts chapter 11. It's a really cool chapter. And then what ends up happening is we start to see that what Luke is doing as he's transitioning away from Peter and the focus of Jerusalem. In the first 11 chapters, Peter's really the main character in the book of, in the book of Acts, and Jerusalem is kind of the main church. And then what we see when we get to Acts 11 is that Peter's no longer on the stage. It starts out with a church, and it's a different church. It's not Jerusalem. It's Antioch. And we pick up right where we are in Acts chapter 13, and we're going to see what is, what's so special about this church, and hopefully we'll answer our question of what is God doing with the people that don't have a Christian witness. I will say this. Acts 13 starts, it's approximately 15 years after the day of Pentecost. 15 years later, the gospel is spreading in a, in a predominantly Gentile region and a predominantly Gentile city. And this is what happens. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there was certain prophets and teachers. Now, it's interesting. I will say this. We're going we're gonna to look at this prophets and teachers. At this time, this is kind of a transitionary time. Um, in the Christian movement. And so prophets and teachers, what Luke is saying is, here's the leaders of the church. It would be what we would equivalent, uh, equate today to pastors, deacons, um, pastors and teachers. Uh, that's what this is right here in this church. These are the leaders of the Antioch church. And what's also interesting is that why in the world is Luke actually including this list of people? He's going to give a list of names and he's going to give details about each of these people. If they weren't there, we could read verse 2 and verse 3 and clearly have an understanding of what Luke is trying to communicate in terms of the importance of what's going to happen after that. But for some reason, he includes the names of these people. And I believe it's very important because it actually fits with the overall theme that is being communicated here. So let's read who these people are. First is Barnabas. We know about Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas was a, a Hellenistic Jew. He was born in Cyprus. And apparently he lived in Palestine, in, in Jerusalem particularly, for quite a while. And he became a believer in Jerusalem. And he had gone, as I said before, as a representative of the apostles up to this church. And now he was teaching in this church. He was leading this church, if you will. He probably would have been actually the senior pastor, if you want to kind of put it in our kind of modern terms. And I probably didn't have that title, but he would have been equivalent to that at this church. Um, he would have been our, our Walt Graham, all right? 
Um, then there's another man, Simeon, who was called Niger. Now, this is really important. He, it, Luke includes a description of this man who was called Niger. People called him Niger. Niger is Latin. It's actually Latin for dark-skinned. Simeon probably was black. And Niger also probably could have also been used to describe where he was from, which was probably Africa. So here is a man who is a leader in the church, who is representing cultural, ethnic diversity in the leadership of this church. Lucius of Cyrene. Now, Cyrene was the capital city of a, another Roman province in North Africa called Libya. So here is a man from Libya, North Africa, a leader in the church in Antioch, representing cultural diversity. Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. This is Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was, uh, was the Tetrarch, which would have been the, the equivalent to a governor uh, of the region of Galilee in Palestine from about 4 BC to 39 BC, during the life and ministry of Jesus. Menean, it says, what had been brought up with Herod. Um, other translations might say a member of his court, if, if, if it means brought up with Herod, it could actually mean that he was a foster brother of Herod. At the very least, he was friends with Herod. Brought up in the court means he daily was raised, and his family, if he, if he wasn't a foster child, his family was of the high-class society of that region. And so what we see here with Menean is we actually see now we have social diversity. We have a wealthy man in leadership in this church. And so we have ethnic diversity. We have, we have cultural diversity. We have social diversity. We have diversity of religion. And then we get to Saul. And we remember Saul. Remember, he was the persecutor of the church. Persecutor of the church, now promoter of the church. And you got to remember, think, think about this. I love how the Bible just paint so many moments of irony. Here is the man whose persecution in Jerusalem caused the believers to flee. And guess where they went? To Antioch. And they, and they shared the gospel in Antioch and a church was planted. And now the guy who caused these people to, flat, to flee that ended up leading to the planting of a church, now he is pastoring that church. That's ironic, is it not? I mean, it, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, you just can't make this stuff up. It's amazing. It's God. It's awesome. It's so cool. And so here, here's a picture of a special church, isn't it? A church that is clearly pursuing God, clearly is pursuing God's mission. And so let's read on to see what we learn about this church. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now this is interesting. The work to which I've called them. Now we remember actually, Paul, uh, Jesus has already given Saul his mission. It was back in Acts chapter 9 verse 16. Back in Acts chapter 9 verse 16, he was talking to, Jesus was talking to Ananias at that time and he said this, he said, uh, he said, um, he, Paul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And remember, here is this church in Antioch. They have, they have heard that the Gentiles are 
can come to faith in Christ. And so they went and they did it. And so they went and shared the gospel with the Gentiles in that region. And so this is a dynamic church who is experiencing the dynamic outworking of the mission of Jesus in their region. I mean, this would have been, they would have heard, they would have known Acts 1-8 is happening in their midst. The, the church had spread from Jerusalem. The church had spread from Judea and Samaria. The church had spread to, they are like the starting of the uttermost parts of the region. And it wasn't just for the Jews. It's for everybody. And so here is this church saying, God, you can save anybody and everybody. We're doing it. It's happening. People are coming to faith. I believe they were probably, it says they were fasting and praying. I think that they were asking, God, what do we do next? I think Saul is there. And remember, Saul started out right off the bat saying, what do you want me to do, Lord? And so here is a church praying, asking God, what do you want us to do next? And the answer is right here. Separate to me Barnabas and Saul because they are going to go before the Gentiles, before kings and the children of Israel. And so what do they do? Verse 3. So then they ha having fasted and prayed, they fast and they pray more. And I believe what they were doing at that time is they were asking God to give them the details. Okay, we're sending... You got to remember, this would have been the equivalent of their senior pastor and their associate pastor. Could you imagine uh, Pastor Walt and Pastor Dave coming up to us uh, as we're in the midst of a service, and uh, they get to the, they all of a sudden get this sense from God: uh, we're supposed to leave and we're supposed to share the gospel someplace else and plant a church someplace else. Could you imagine? Don't worry, they're not going to do that. Um, at least not yet. I'm not shaking up anything. I don't want to say that that's happening. Walt's going to, Walt's going to freak out. Sorry, Walt. I, I'm not saying that. All right. So, but that's essentially what's happening in this church. And so they are fasting and they're praying. I believe that God clearly tells them, listen, they're supposed to go out from here. And I think they probably, they probably got a little bit of direction. You're going to go west. And so they're going to end up in the next verses. We're going to see that they go to Cyprus, which is an island in the Mediterranean. And then from there, they go to southern Galatia. But they are fasting and praying and they're asking God. They're serious. And so what do they do? They lay hands after they get that direction from God to send their, their senior and their associate pastor away. They laid hands on them and they sent them away. Now, here's the important thing about them laying hands on them. What that really means is that they were, they were recognizing that this is God's work in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is on them. He has set them apart to go and to reach people who have no Christian witness yet. And so they're going to do that. They're going to go to Cyprus, and then they're going go to go to southern Galatia, and they're going to share the gospel with the Jewish people there. They're going to share the gospel with the Gentiles there. People are going to come to faith. They're going to plant churches. They're going to establish leadership in those regions, and then they're going to move on to another city. And they're going to do that, and they're going to keep doing that. But this is also what's really important, is that, is that it's not Paul and Barnabas that are sent alone. This is God sending Antioch out to these regions. And I know that because after Paul and Barnabas go on their first mission, they come back and guess where they go? They go straight to Antioch to end their mission. In Acts uh, chapter, chapter 14, after they've gone to Cyprus and southern Galatia, they, we see this in verse 26. It says, from there they sailed to Antioch. This is them coming back. And where they had been commended 
to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church in Antioch together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. See, Antioch wanted to receive them back because it wasn't just them sending Saul and Barnabas to do the work. It was them going and Saul, with Saul and Barnabas. It was Saul and Barnabas going as representatives of this church, I think, because guess what? They go and then they come back after their second ministry, missionary journey. They share all that God did and they go, this is what God has done. He's done, with, he's done it through all of us. They go, they come back. Second missionary journey in Acts 18. Then we see this. Now when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. And it's implied that when he went down to Antioch, he had spent some time there and he did the same thing. He shared what God had done through them. What God was doing with the church of Antioch because they were on mission with God to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then we have to believe that if you look and you look at the maps of how Paul, uh, Saul, who at this point started to get, become called Paul because of his ministry to the Gentiles, and that was his Greek name, um, he's, you see him travel back, do a big loop, do a big loop two times. And we see him start to finish. On the third missionary journey, he starts to create a loop again. And he ends in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he ends up getting bound and, and, and imprisoned. And he ends up eventually being sent to Rome. And we understand that this is clearly God's work because it, it, in, in Acts 9, it says that he's going to go before Gentiles and kings. And so by Paul being imprisoned, he actually ends up going before governors and before kings, eventually to the very emperor's court to share his case of why he's imprisoned. And to do so, he shares the very reason why he's imprisoned is because he's sharing that Jesus is the Messiah of all people. And so he shares the very gospel to the very emperor of the Roman Empire. But that was all God's plan. And had that not happened, we have to believe that Paul would have followed his pattern just like he had done the last two times and would have gone back to his church in Antioch because Antioch was on mission with Paul. And see, this is the thing. The rest of Acts is going to start shifting to Paul. And it's going to be like it was Peter in Jerusalem before. Now it's Paul in Antioch. And see, this is the reason why. Luke is not just sharing the gospel. Or, I'm sorry, Luke is not just sharing a story. A story of a nice church, a special church at that time. Luke is sharing a model that is going to be emulated for the next 2,000 years. Now, there's going to be periods, hundreds of years even, where, where there's really not a whole lot of missionary work, a whole lot of work of people being reached in other cultures and other regions. But there's going to be revival throughout the rest, of, over these next 2,000 years to where we are today, and people are going to return to this model. And this is this model that God wants us to recognize is that Antioch was called as a church to the mission. Antioch was called as a church to make disciples of people of all nations. And not only does God, did God call Antioch, but God called members of Antioch's church to go and to make disciples of the nations. And Antioch's model is actually our model. God is calling Life Source Church to the mission of making disciples. Jesus' mission. 
not just the people in our relationships and not just the people that we have natural affinities to, but to people that we have never met before, to people who aren't like us, to people in different subcultures in our own country and people in other countries throughout the world. And not only is he calling us as a church, but he's calling individuals from our church to make disciples of the nations. That's our model for missions, the same model that he had for Antioch. And so you might be asking, all right, what's that look like? Well, I believe this is very, very much the important thing to understand what that looks like. That looks like we are serious about being on mission for Jesus. And I want, I want to say it looks like it's serious that we're on missions for Jesus because I think that this is the thing we need to really recognize is that it is actually possible for us to not be on mission for Jesus as a church and not be on mission for Jesus as individuals. I think it is possible for us to do a whole lot of really good things. I think it's possible for us to get caught up in doing really, really good things here in our body to eat for each other and here in our community for other people. And then we think we're doing it in the name of Jesus. But if we are not on mission globally, joining Jesus and his mission to reach the uttermost parts of the world to make disciples globally, then we probably are not on mission with Jesus and we've probably lost momentum completely. The other thing to remember is this, that if we are not Send, if people within our midst are not being called to actually go and to reach people from other cultures and to go to other nations, then we probably are not on mission for Jesus anymore. And we probably have completely lost the momentum of being on mission with Jesus. And we are not a church in motion. I don't want to be that church. I don't want to be a part of that church. And I praise God. You want to know what? I praise God that we are, in fact, a church that is serious about Jesus' mission. And that's why we're in the midst of this sermon series. That's why we're doing the things we're doing. That's why we are asking God, what should we do? And that's why I want to just encourage you. You know, there are some 20 missionaries that we support and we pray for right now. And they're in almost that many countries. And did you know that not only are there some 20 missionaries out there, but God has actually called members of our church to go to the world, to go to the globe. One of them is Mandy Swanson. Mandy Swanson grew up in our church. While she was a student at Moody Bible Institute, God gave, started to give her a sense of a calling to be a missionary. And so she started asking God, where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to reach? And God started putting in her heart the desire to love and to care for the Russian people. And so she knew that she was supposed to go to Russia. And for the last two years, she's been a missionary in Russia, sent from our church. And then we also have two other people, Howie and Jeanette Bowen. Howie and Jeanette Bowen, actually, uh, back in 1978, they were not a part of our church at the time. They were a part of uh, First Baptist Church in Newton, New Hampshire. And at that time, they were both involved um, in youth discipleship. They were involved in youth ministry in their church. And Howie was a deacon at the church at that, at that time. And at that time, he was, he was sensing that if he did not go full-time for the Lord to reach uh, youth throughout the country then he was not being faithful to what God had called him to. And so eventually he answered that call. 
and eventually ended up moving to our region and becoming a member of our church. And so Howie and Jeanette Bowen became full-time missionaries with Word of Life Ministries. And what they did for some 40 years, they just retired this past year for 40 years, they were involved in helping disciple churches so that those churches could reach their children and the youth of their region and to make disciples of the youth. And so for 40 years, they were involved in that. I praise God for them. You know, it's funny, as they're with their... their uh, uh, their uh, granddaughter, Emily, who is the daughter of David and Debbie Langren. And did you know that before David and Debbie Langren became our associate pastors, they, they were members of our church. And at that time, they themselves were called to be missionaries with Word of Life. And they went to California for, I think, almost 10 years and were, did the same thing that Howie and Jeanette Bowen did for 40 years before being called back to our church. I thank God that he is calling people from our church. And you know what? I don't think he's done. I don't think he's done. See, because the same model that God had for Antioch, which is that he calls a church on mission to make disciples of the nation and calls individuals to be on church, or to be on mission uh, to make disciples of the nation, is our model as well. He's calling us as a church to make disciples of the nation, and he's calling individuals to make disciples of the nations from our church. So you might be asking, what do we do? Well, that's why we've been going through this series. I mean, we have asked the question, God, what is your mission for the church? And we know that that's to make disciples. And we call it here, we say, uh, we, we've, we've, we, we understand it in the sense of we have a personal mission to provide everybody with a genuine opportunity to know Christ. And then you, the other thing that, 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 that God is doing is you, we, we ask this question of, uh, uh, God, what is my part? How do I personally make disciples? And so from there, um, we've asked, we've given you some things to consider, like what has God given me? What are my talents? What are my abilities? What are my interests? And so we've asked you to start asking God to lead you in that way so that you can get a sense from where and from who, or who and where you are to go and what you are to do and how you be a part of what God's doing here in Life Source and maybe even beyond. And so how in the world do we look like Antioch? Well, I think very first and foremost, it means that we get serious and we continue to be serious. And I would say, what you see it being expressed in this church, they were fasting and they were praying. And we have been fasting and we have been praying. We have been praying and praying and praying for what God wants to do through Life Source Church. And so maybe we need to start doing that even more. And so maybe even as an individual, we need to start doing that. Maybe as individuals, I would encourage you to think about this. Maybe you need to personally fast and pray about your part and what God is doing in this church and in the nations. Maybe you would recognize what God did here at, in, uh, in Acts and say, God, can you do that again? Can you do that again here? And if he's going to, I think that there's three ways that you can, you can pursue that. First and foremost, to be a part of what God is doing in the nations, it's pretty straightforward. Start praying. And I gave you this handout. Um, you got it when you came through the door. This is, I didn't come up with this. Walt did a fantastic job with this back when our, in our giving series a couple months ago. And I thought it was absolutely awesome because it shows you the various countries of the missionaries that LifeSource Church supports and where they are. And it has their names. And so maybe you need to put this in a place where you can see it on a daily basis or some kind of a regular basis. And you're going to commit to personally pray for the missionaries in these regions and, these, and, uh, and, and the specific missionaries that are there. And so maybe your part in joining God's mission of making disciples of the nation starts with you praying for the missionaries that are there. 
who are there um, supported by, as representatives of, LifeSource Church, we are on mission with them in these regions. Would you join them in praying for the mission that's happening there? The other way that you could do that is to not just pray, but you could give to missions. Now, here's an important thing for you to understand about LifeSource Church. I came from a background where the church took a percentage of what I gave and gave that to missions. And you might have come from that kind of a background too. That's not how we, serve, that's not how we support our missionaries at LifeSource Church. When you give to our regular tithes and offerings, you are giving to the general ministry here at LifeSource Church. And so that, all of that money goes to the ministries that are happening right here through LifeSource Church. So in order for you to give to missions so that it's going to actually go to the missionaries that are out in the field, you need to go further over where it says uh, offering for missions, uh, faith promise offering for old missions, and you need to designate the amount that you are giving to missions. And so maybe today, if you've never done it before, maybe if you're giving regularly, that's awesome. Giving to missions, you've got to set aside where it is if you want it to be going to our missionaries. Maybe today, just as an opportunity to say, yes, I'm going to join I want to join God's mission, Jesus' mission to, the disciple, to, to uh, disciple the nations. I'm going to give something today. And so you'd put it in your card that's in your pew, and you'd put it right where it says world missions and set the amount that you're giving to that. So you can pray for missionaries. You can give to missionaries. And then here's the third thing. See, I said earlier, I don't think God is done calling people from our church to join the mission globally of making disciples. So maybe... The last thing you should do, if you are serious, is ask God if he's calling you to go to the nations, to be a missionary someplace else, or to some subculture of people that might even be in our greater region, and he's calling you to do it. Would you be willing? Would you even ask? Say, God, I don't know if you are. I probably don't think you are, but I'm open to it. Because I think he really is calling people. He's not done calling a Mandy Swanson. He's not done calling a Howie and Jeanette. He's not done calling a David and Debbie Langren. He's not done with the mission to reach the world. Because there's a lot of people still who don't know. And see, here's the thing. Remember last week I said this. I said, you know, there are people who don't have any Christians at all in, those, in their region. They've never heard the gospel. And you know what? I think God has legitimately given them an opportunity to hear the gospel. And you know why? Because he's legitimately leading people to go to them. But here's the thing. I think a lot of people aren't answering God's call on their life to go. And that's so sad. That's so sad. So, Acts chapter 14, Paul comes back, right, after his first missionary journey. And he summarizes so well what I think you and I have an opportunity to recognize. And that's this. That when he, they had come, that's, that's the missionaries, Saul and Barnabas, they'd come, they gathered the church together, and they reported all that God had done with them. And that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. If I could say it like this, you and I, we need to recognize this. I need to recognize that the door of opportunity is open to, be a, to have a mission, to have a personal mission, which is Jesus' mission, to make disciples of the nations, to make disciples of people who have never had the opportunity to hear the name of Jesus. I have the opportunity to join him. I have the opportunity. The door is open. All I have to do is walk through it. And so do you. So will you pray for our missionaries? That's your first way that you could walk through the door, to just begin praying. 
You could give to missionaries. Maybe that's the, the other way you're going to walk a little further through the door today and just give a little something. You can pray for whether or not God is actually calling you. And you can take a big step through that door. See, because the door of opportunity is open for you to be on mission, to have a mission. Because the same model that Antioch had, where he called the church to make disciples, and then called individuals from the church to go and make disciples of the nations, that's our model for missions. God is calling us as Life Source Church to make disciples of the nations, and he's calling people from our church to go and make disciples. So will you walk through the door? It's wide open. It's wide open. Do you feel it? Do you see it? Pray with me. Father, Father, we thank you that you have opened the door wide open and we are seeing it as we remember what you did 2,000 plus years ago at Antioch. And we have to believe as we see that when you called Saul and Barnabas apart and set them apart and sent them, that we recognize that because of where they went and the people that were reached, eventually momentum continued to build so much so that 2,000 years later, we have had the opportunity to hear the name of Jesus, that we have responded to that opportunity to become Christians. And the same way that you gave them legitimate opportunities to become Christians and then legitimate opportunities to join you on mission, you are giving us a legitimate opportunity to go, to walk through the doors that are wide open. So God, would you encourage us? God, would you inspire us that we will pray for the people who have already responded and have already gone? God, will you lead us to, out of, to give our hearts over to you by giving to the mission? And then finally, God, will you call people and will it be so clear as we open up and say, God, if you're sending us, we'll go no matter the cost. God, we thank you that you are not done with what you're doing here and through Life Source Church. May you continue to build your church and we know that the gates of hell cannot stop us, and we are so awestruck by that and so inspired. We love you, Jesus, and we want you to work and continue to work for your glory, and we will, are so grateful to have a mission to be a part of that. Amen.